You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church yet again. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us so very well for the effort that you put into. Everyone who is up here on Sunday morning puts a lot of work into what they do on Sunday morning. And we constantly pray that we'll be reminded we do this for God's glory, not our own. We all fall into temptation like we were just singing about when temptation comes. Lord, you be my righteousness. Uh, but a lot of work goes in by a lot of people who aren't getting paid very much at all. I think it'd be fair if David gave some of his salary to the worship team, right? If anybody else is. Is there anybody up here I can give some of my salary to? I don't see anybody, so. Uh, you're on your own, David. Just kidding, just kidding. But thank you so much, all of you who serve so well. And if you're here for the first time today, we extend to you a very special welcome. Our prayer is always that you be in the place that God wants you to be. If that's not here, we're fine with that as long as you get where God wants you to be. But we want you to know that you're welcome and that we would love you to be a part of our fellowship if this is indeed where God leads you to be. So if you were going to describe America in one word, what would you choose? I'll be in Australia in a couple of weeks, and I'll hear lots of descriptions of America. Maybe some of the ones we would give this morning, maybe not. Uh, would you say freedom, innovation, business? That describes everything. You ever think about how everything in America is designed for business. We just understand that. A lot of places in the world, you may go and sit down in a restaurant and you could be there for a long, long time, but in America we're moving on because we want to make space for the next people. Everything, just think about it sometimes. That would be a good description of America. Of course, a lot of people would turn right around and say, no, I think I would use the descriptor greed. Generosity, though, on the other hand, pretty generous. Lots of different descriptions we could give for America if we were forced to do it in one word. I suppose it depends on your perspective. How would you describe your favorite team, your company, your school? Excellence? Focused? Dismal? Doomed? Potential? How would you describe your spouse or your good friend? There's only one right answer on this one. Incredible, beautiful, wonderful, amazing. They're all in that category. If we had to choose one word to describe the book of Colossians, it's pretty simple what it would be. Jesus. It's just the answer. Jesus. One word for Colossians. I had seriously considered um, doing the book of Malachi this summer, and as I was reading and preparing, I hope it was the Holy Spirit that said, uh-uh, not Malachi for the summer. We're going to do Colossians for the summer. 
I've wanted to, as I mentioned to you not long ago, for a long time wanted to go through this book. We're going to go through it at a little bit quicker pace than we typically would a book. For one reason, because we spend so much time here, other sessions, other sermons and uh, that, that are completely based on Colossians or some that where Colossians is referenced. This little four-chapter book written to a church in a small country town is the most Christ-centered epistle or letter from the apostles in the New Testament. There's nothing else quite like it in the New Testament apart from the Gospels. So for the next few months, Jesus will be exalted in our own country church as we enjoy a summer in Colossians. I promise you we could spend a whole year easily and not cover it fully. <clears throat> but hopefully you'll get enough of a taste of this book that caused a deep desire to well up in you to explore the riches of this small letter on your own. I would have loved to have come up with a clever title for this series, but when you read Colossians, you realize that you're required to use one title. There's only one title that, that, that works, and that's the supremacy of Christ. It's almost as if the Lord would not give any preacher an option other than the supremacy of Christ, because that's what it's so much about. In this series, we'll see how Jesus is Lord of all creation. He is redeemer and sustainer and the forgiver of sins. He is the mystery revealed and the hope of all who believe. Jesus is the beginning and end of salvation for believers and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the substitute for sin and the canceller of debts. I, I'm jealous because I don't get to preach Colossians 2, 13 and 14. That's going to fall to David uh, in a few weeks. He is the canceller of debts. He is the head of the church and he is seated at the right hand of God. He provides newness of life and new clothes for, for his followers. He is the one, <coughs> he is one with his people, giving them the power of his resurrection to overcome sin. He breaks down barriers and provides new songs for the church. He is our peace. He is the peace in our midst and the love in our hearts and the message worth proclaiming whenever we are given an opportunity. And we could go on, but we'd never get to the text itself. So Colossians 1, 1 through 14 is going to be our text today. It's a challenge to cover 14 verses in one sermon. So we'll get to it out of respect for God's word. It is our custom here to stand when the scripture is read. So I would ask you to please stand. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, 
which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Our Father, um, this is exceedingly good news for those who believe. And Lord, you have told us just now, and your word is eternal, so we will always know that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the presence, the kingdom of your dear Son, the kingdom of light. It is in Jesus that we have redemption the forgiveness of sins, and it is in him that we find life not only eternal, but life in this world. Cause it to come alive in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Missy. Well, a mini-sermon or a mini-series deserves a mini-introduction, I would think. So I'll begin by telling you that Colossae had been an important city. It's, it's located in <coughs> modern-day Turkey. It was known as Asia Minor at the time. Uh, and it was between uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Both of those cities had grown in importance. Colossae, which had been quite <coughs> an important city, was now they had lost uh, people to these other more important cities nearby. Uh, there's no doubt, or there's little doubt, I should say, that the Apostle Paul had sometime passed through Colossae, but he didn't stop and preach there. He didn't establish a church there. He just sort of went through on his way to other places. Uh, it is, it, it, we're told in Colossians that the church was planted by Epaphras, who had either heard Paul preaching or had heard someone else preaching the gospel, and he went home and said, look, <laughs> I've just heard the most incredible news. You have to know this. You have to know what Jesus has done for us. This Lord of all creation has come to earth and saved us uh, through his death. So Epaphras established the church, but it's clear from the letter that Paul knew some of the people there or certainly some of the people close by. And they, without any question, knew of the apostle Paul. So it was a big deal that he was writing to them. The tone of the letter was quite warm, even though Paul probably wrote the letter to combat a false doctrine that was likely of a local variety. There are differences of, of opinion about 
the heresy in um, Colossae, and we will have either two or three people preaching from Colossians 2 in July, so we may get two or three opinions about what that heresy, that particular heresy was. Uh, you may recall just a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago, we spent a week in Colossians 4, 2 to 6, where Paul said, make the most of every opportunity. And the implication is make the most of every opportunity. You have to share the gospel. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Most of chapter 4 of Colossians after verse 6 consists of greetings and specific instruction here or there. It's kind of like our announcement time. Uh, so it's unlikely that we'll spend uh, very much time at all, if any, in chapter 4 beyond the first verse. But it is possible, I suppose, and we'll know by early August. I'm preaching Colossians 1 these three weeks in June, Lord willing. Then Ricky, David, and Scott Colberth will be preaching those first three in July, and then I'll come back and take over in, the, in chapter three uh, once Allison and I get back from down under. I might be speaking a little funny by the time I get back, you know, sounding a little different, but we are looking forward to our trip, not time away from you. It just grieves our heart that we have to be away from you, but we will enjoy our time in Australia. Uh, this morning, we're going to think about prayer a lot. Since we have limited time in Colossians, I, I'll not take time to break down what the Apostle Paul was saying in the introductory remarks to the members of Colossae, but we are going to take time to read through slowly verses 1 through 8. Look, whether it's intentional or not, most of the time it is intentional. Uh, I shifted gears uh, on David after he had already chosen the songs for this week, but... I'm sitting there thinking, how amazing is the connection between the music and the words that we're singing and the, and the text of Colossians 1. If I had time to go into great depth of verses 1 through 8, you would see how many things that we've already said corporately today in song fit with what the Apostle Paul says. So here are some of the things, as, as we go through Colossians 1, 1 through 8, uh, here are some of the things to look for as we go. Notice the familiarity, familiarity with which Paul writes to these people that he has never met. He's never even met them, and yet it feels like he's very close to them. Notice how grateful he is for the spread of the gospel, not just for number's sake, and even not so much for number's sake, but for what... The establishment and increase of the gospel has meant for, for those who believe, especially for the Colossians. The gospel is increasing elsewhere, and it's increasing in your midst. And he's not just talking about increasing in numbers, but the gospel taking root in our hearts. As I read, consider the nature of the compliments that Paul freely gives to these brothers and sisters in Christ about things that he has heard of their behavior. How often does Paul pray for these people that he's never met? Lots of things you could be looking for, but just see how the Lord speaks to you as we go slowly through this text. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace. 
from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Do you detect any combination of words that you would expect to find from Paul in other places? In fact, we do find from Paul a lot of other places. Let me give you a hint. It's not the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you if you're look a little closer, I'm sure you'll get it. There it is. Faith, <laughs> hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's going to say that again in Colossians 3. But you often find these words closely set together. Uh, by the way, you often hear me say here that Hope in the New Testament almost always refers to our eternal home. This is just one of the places that this truth is affirmed in Scripture because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And Paul is saying, look, you've got the trifecta here. Your faith is good in Christ. You have love for all the saints and you have a hope that is laid up in heaven and you live accordingly. Let's continue. Of this... You have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. In verse 6, Paul references the God of truth, then Jesus and the Holy Spirit in verses 7 and 8. Uh, almost always in the New Testament, once again, when you see God name, he's talk the, the writer is talking about the Father. When you see the word Lord used, almost always it's talking about Jesus. If there's one word that incorporates the Trinity as a whole, it would be God. But typically, that's talking about the Father. So here again, you've got this Trinity that Paul shares in the verse. Uh, David this morning told us that he had chosen holy, holy, holy because today is Trinity Sunday. If any of you are liturgical types, you may know that already. Again, it fits Perfectly, what Paul will be saying in Colossians chapter 1. Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, one nature, three persons, is all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament, but you need to know what you're looking for if you're looking in the Old Testament. It smacks you in the face in the New Testament over and over, and still we miss it. It's like, whoa, what was that? What happened? Just happened there. We miss it so many times, but it's it's there. Much of the language that we use today about the Trinity was given to us by early church theologians from Tertullian in the late 2nd and 3rd centuries to Athanasius in the early to mid 4th centuries and, and all the way to the three Cappadocians late in the 4th century. The studied conclusions of these men do not carry the same way to Scripture, but they help us to understand the Scriptures in the same way the Sunday morning sermon does, 
Bible study fellowship does other studies, things that we read. What people have said about scripture helps us to understand if others measure what they say against scripture and, and, and come into agreement. That's how we get the word orthodoxy. It means rule. It's talking about this is the rule of faith. This is the, 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 the majority opinion about this particular doctrine in scripture. It's obvious in these opening remarks in Paul's letter uh, that he wants the Colossians to go deep into the word and deep into their understanding of God. Next Sunday's message will cover Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which gives us the beautiful hymn to Christ. The relationship between father and son is a major theme of Colossians. But as we see in verses 6 to 8, Paul presented one God, three persons. And since this is the emphasis in Colossians, and since Paul commended the Colossians for going deep into the truth of the gospel, which is much more clearly seen in the Greek than it is in the English, he's commending them for understanding God at a deeper level than I thought it would be good for, to, to share the meditations on the Trinity from one of the men who helped shape our understanding of what the Bible teaches us about God. I'm speaking, of course, of Gregory of Nazianzus, and I'm certain that many of you were talking about his writings on the way to church <clears throat> this morning. Um, he was one of the three Cappadocians. Again, you can't believe how much these people helped shape our understanding of God and gave us the full-orbed theology of the Trinity that we have today. Now, if none of what I have said in the last two to three minutes means anything or makes much sense to you. I'm sure you're going to appreciate Gregory's reflections on the Trinity. Although it's technical at first and don't give up because we're going to get to some really good stuff in just a little bit. Uh, so let's, let's hear from Gregory. <clears throat> this, talking about God, this I give to you to share and to defend all your life. The one Godhead and power found in the three and you didn't know, again, this seems a little technical and complex to us. You don't understand how important this was in the day, in the fourth century, when all of the, the ideas about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, was being debated. Was he eternal? Had he existed as God before the foundations of the world and as far back and beyond what we can ever know? Has he always existed like the Father? Or was he created by the Father? As we're going to read next week, the firstborn of creation. What does that mean? So Gregory says, the one Godhead and power found in the three in unit and comprising the three separately, not unequal in substances or nature. They have the same nature even though they are separate. They're three persons and yet they are the same. Neither increased nor diminished by superiorities nor inferiorities. The Son is sent by the Father. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. They are the same. It, nothing is increased nor diminished by those realities. In every respect equal. In every respect the same. Just as the beauty and the greatness of the heavens is one. 
the infinite conjunction of three infinite ones, each God when considered in himself. As the Father, so the Son. As the Son, so the Holy Spirit. The three, one God when contemplated together. Each God, because consubstantial, having the same nature. One God, because of the monarchia, he is one God, ruler over all the universe, all creation. Now this. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole, and my eyes are filled. And the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me. Can you imagine the greatness of our God? This week I heard, just like you hear all the time, Jews, Christians, Muslims, we all worship the same God. We don't. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's His name. He's one and He's three. And who can get your mind? Just about time you've got your mind around it. Falls apart. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one as he is thinking about one, so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. That's all right, I guess. It's clear this man thought deeply about the Trinity. I think most of us would be afraid to think at this level because we are afraid we'd, we'd, we'd go off into heresy. And, and guess what? Gregory was one of three who? One of how many? I mean, Cappadocians, three. He was one of three. And there was a great council. There were a lot of people who were keeping one another in check. You can't do theology on your own. You've been told growing up in America that your interpretation of Scripture is just as good as anybody else's. Only as the whole affirms that what we believe is orthodox. We are dependent on one another. So, most of us will never think at that level. But the next time you see language in Scripture that puts the Father and Son as one, or that has Father, Son, and Spirit in close proximity, seek to understand how the three persons who make up the one Godhead work together for God's glory and our benefit. If you just think, I have this great relationship with God, you're, you're missing out. I have this great relationship with the Father, Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one is working in your life for his glory and for our benefit. <clears throat> With these thoughts about God and our hearts and minds, we'll examine Paul's personal prayer for his brothers and sisters as recorded in Colossians 1, 9 to 14. Again, I'll make a few comments about the text and then we'll see if there are practical ways that we can follow 
his example in prayer given here. So verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Don't wait to start praying for your brothers and sisters. Pray for them now. And look, when you hear about somebody coming to Christ or someone says, Oh, I've got great news. My, my great uncle's first uh, wife's ch- child has come to Christ. Don't say, oh, Okay, I got lost here. Say, Praise the Lord. Pray for that person. Pray along these lines. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Some of you want more than anything to know God's will for your life. The Colossians were no different from us. I'm sure they were looking for advice and direction, and they wondered if Paul's letter would tell them who who they should marry, or, or most likely who they should arrange for their children to marry. You know, it was a, it's a different day. They didn't have nearly as many choices as we do. One of our great problems in this land is the number of choices that we have. But everybody has choices. And so constantly, we want to know God's will for our lives. I'm sure Paul prayed for knowledge, uh, or they were thinking when he prayed for knowledge, that, that they should know what crops they should plant in the, in the spring. Maybe if they should move to a different location in the city. But Paul prayed for knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to empower them to live in such a way that would be pleasing to God. That is to say, remaining patient in difficult circumstances was a higher priority than where one should work or go to college. So, in other words, God is more interested in who you are than in what you do. That is why Augustine said, love God and do what you want to do. You have a real question about what should I do with my life? What should I do next? Should I do this or that? Where should I go? Love God and do what you want to do. You better be sure you've got the love God part before you get to the other. But if you do, if you're seeking him, his will is far more about your character than it is the decisions you make. Now, the decisions you make may reveal your character. So, in that case, you know, be very careful. Verse 11. His prayer is that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance the saints in light. Paul did not pray that, that the Colossians would find strength in themselves. And I, I look, I know it's a minor thing, but just think about the way that we often pray. God, give me strength to do this. 
rather than infuse me with your strength. It's subtle, but, it's, but it could be huge in our lives because we all want to do it. We want to get it done. Someone told me about a guy that had a shirt on the front that said, get her done, and on the back it said, got her dead. So, you know, that's kind of the way we want to do. We want to be like that. We want to be the one to get it done. But he's saying that the strength doesn't come from us. And it comes from God's glorious power. And it's not necessarily to get up and walk, get up out of this bed and walk. Give me the strength of that. But it's to help me to be patient, endure as I should, and, and, and glorify and, and radiate Christ as I lie here in this bed. Says the one who's never spent a night in the hospital after I was born. So, I, I believe me, I was praying that Allison would get out of that hospital bed a, a few weeks ago. Sooner rather than later. But God is calling us. To trust him and to live as believers should. So was Paul praying for them to stand up for what they thought a Christian nation ought to be? <laughs> Paul didn't know anything about a Christian nation. Nobody in the first century knew anything about a Christian nation. The Roman Empire was pagan to the core. He prayed for endurance in trials. Paul was under house arrest when he wrote. Now, what would have been your first prayer request if you'd been under house arrest? Uh, pray that this unjust sentence would be, I, I don't like this, and please pray that the Lord will get me out of here. That'd be my prayer, I promise you. My prayer request. He prayed that the Colossians would endure whatever came their way and that they would be patient. By the way, when you say, hey, patience comes through trials, um, I'm not going to pray for patience. I got news for you. The trials are coming. You may as well go ahead and pray for patience. Just say, Lord, help me to be patient. I, I, I'm an impatient person. Because the less you pray about that, the more you may have to learn it the hard way. In Philippians. Paul said that God had been merciful to him in sparing Epaphroditus from a deathly illness, a dead, deadly illness. So Paul surely cared about health, but his priority in this prayer was for the spiritual and the eternal, not the physical, not the temporal. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. Forgiveness of sins. Every, every time I read these verses, it reminds me of the old Twyla Paris album, Kingdom Seekers. There's so many great songs on that album about being delivered from darkness and brought into light. Do you see this world in terms of darkness and light? Well can't help but talking about it these days, but probably so in the political climate. But there is something far greater at stake than who is elected, as important as that is. And I promise you, folks, the stuff that's going on is not about who ascends and who goes down and who gets things right finally. It's about the gospel. 
about the gospel going forth in our land. Look, I'm very close with some people who have family in places where there is great persecution and people are right on the edge of it. The gospel is at stake. Those who do not know Jesus are, according to Colossians, in the domain of darkness. And they are incapable of finding their way out. Just as we who are in the light at one time were in the darkness. Even if you can never remember a time when you were not a Christian, when you didn't believe in Jesus. We were all in darkness and until he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Into light. We were going to stay right there. Jesus is the redeemer. He is the forgiver of sins. So when you pray for your, your loved ones, your, your, your co-workers, what does the kind of prayer that Paul prayed look like for us? We're going to close our time this morning for the students who left uh, to go on the mission trip. Some of you, I saw parents uh, talking with students just before they left this morning. And the students and leaders are, are listed on the screen. And we're going to pray for them according to Colossians 1. Well, it's going to be an attempt. Maybe, maybe it's, it's not the best attempt, but you'll get the idea. Um, and then you can apply it as you pray for others. We're going to proceed alphabetically according to the structure of the prayer in our text. And so for now, pray with your eyes open. And we're going to begin praying for Katie Colbreth. Lord, give Katie a hunger for the word. Create in her a desire, a deep desire for knowledge about who you are and how much you love her. And may that knowledge fill her days and nights. Father, we know that Keisha Culbreth loves your word. May the knowledge that she enjoys grow into spiritual wisdom and understanding and cause her understanding of scripture to give her an eternal perspective with all the benefits that looking up rather than looking inward or outward affords us. Lord, Michael Dermott is traveling south to serve you. And we just pray that he would walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. Give Michael a heart to please you by looking not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. God, Jackson Lee is going to Savannah knowing that he will be directed to work hard in the days and to hear preaching at night. That's difficult. For a teenager. May the fruit of the Spirit, such as love, joy, and peace, flow from his life when he is tired and would rather do something else. Lord, Ricky Lee already is learning a great deal in seminary, but give him increase in his knowledge of God. There's far more for him to learn than he already knows. And I pray that as he learns about you, you will continue to change his life for the better. Ricky, as all of these, are such a blessing to us. May Ricky experience your truth as well as learn it from study.
Father Haley Millard will also no doubt find herself weary and wanting rest. Give her a strength that is beyond her own and may the spiritual strength that she finds cause her to live in a manner that you have called her to live but, and make that become far more important to her than physical endurance. But with physical endurance, Lord, we pray that that Haley, along with all of the students and the leaders, will not only begin well in your strength, but they'll end well in your strength. And speaking of endurance, give Kerrigan Painter a spirit of endurance with patience and joy. Haley and Kerrigan both have such pleasant spirits as they serve customers at Chick-fil-A, but teenage years, as already acknowledged, are difficult. And I pray that the joy of the Lord will bubble up and overflow in Kerrigan's life. Lord, maybe the best thing we could ask for is a thankful spirit. We pray that you will give Gabe Tudor a spirit of gratitude. These kinds of trips are often helpful to know just how blessed we are. A spirit of gratitude is far better than the complaining that many of us do. Give Gabe an extra dose of gratitude. And help Gabe's brother Max to get a sense of what it means to have an inheritance in heaven. Purchased for us by Jesus' blood as he serves these who have so little. In Savannah, may he know how much he has no matter what it looks like. On this earth. I pray this for every single person on this trip. Help them to understand the inheritance of heaven. What that means for us. Lord. Carson Vinoy has not felt his best physically. This past week. I pray that you will help him here in the evening services. That he has been delivered from darkness. And brought into the light by Jesus. Redeemer of Carson's soul, King Jesus, be near to him and to all our students and leaders as they serve you. Whether it's this model or something you develop from this starting point, I, I want to encourage you to pray as Paul prayed for the Colossians. Pray for the heart more than you pray for physical and vocational needs. And by the way, even as I say that, would you pray that the Lord would deliver Lisa Pelton from the physical infirmities that rack her body day in and day out and all of the emotional baggage that comes with that for the family. So many in our home group, you don't know anything about. They're suffering every day. It's not that any of this is intended to diminish the, the impact of those. It's just that our hope in heaven tells us that one day life's going to be real good for those who believe. And pray that that hope is, is, is strengthened in all of our hearts, even as we pray for physical healing. Many of the things that come into our lives are designed to drive us to God. And indeed, we should be praying about those things. But while you're being driven to God, don't forget, there's more to it than what we see. There's more to it than what we feel. 
Pray, Grace Community Church, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will go yet again to the Lord in prayer. This time, we will bow our heads and close our eyes. Oh, Heavenly Father, you're a good God. We acknowledge that, and we acknowledge that we have no right to stand in your presence. We all belong to the domain of darkness. And yet, in your great mercy, in your love and grace, you have caused us to be born again, to be brought into the light. And the days ahead in this life may look pretty dark. But the days ahead in eternity are amazing. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us as a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one nature. And you want us to know that. You want us to understand how all three persons work for our salvation and for our sanctification and glorification. Words that so many people say, oh, that's not important. How's that going to help me tomorrow? Those are the very things you want us to know. And eventually we'll find out how that's going to help us tomorrow. Take us deeper into the gospel. And as Jesus is exalted before our eyes time after time through this little book written to a little country church, cause our hearts to rejoice. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.